pray together. Oh, Father, you have enriched us, you've enriched us, you have blessed us uh, in so many ways. But, Father, they all pale in comparison to the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. And, Father, we are thinking about his humility, how he humbled himself to come to this earth, take on the form of a man, and go to the cross and, and die for us. And, Father, we think about his great mercy and his great love. We pray, Father, that you will help us to be servants of Jesus Christ who, who mirror that same humility, who mirror that same mercy, and who mirror that same love. Father, help us to truly walk in his steps. We pray this through Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Well, after that one-week break when Petunia was speaking to us, we're going to return to our latest sermon series. And we're calling this sermon series, Say What? Does the Bible really say that? And each week during this series, we've been examining a different common Christian cliche. And we've been asking that question, does the Bible really say that? These are the kind of sayings you might see written on a coffee mug or a bumper sticker or you might find posted on Facebook, given as maybe advice or encouragement. Or, as is the case with today's cliche, these are some sayings that might be offered as criticism or correction to someone else who doesn't seem to be behaving in a Christ-like way. Today's cliche is really kind of interesting. It's evidence of a remarkable cultural shift that we've observed in the last 40 40 years. Uh, We can illustrate that cultural shift with a quick quiz. So on college campuses in the 1970s, that was one of the decades that I was on a college campus, college campuses in the 1970s, what Bible verse do you think was best known among college students? You can shout it out. It's okay. John 3.16 is held up at football games. You'd see it in pictures all the time. There was the the rainbow guy, right, that was always holding up John 3.16. By far the most popular verse on college campuses was John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The best-known verse on college campuses in the 1970s by a wide margin is a verse about God's love and salvation and the path to eternal life. So what do you think is the best-known Bible verse on college campuses today? Well, if you're paying attention to the title of today's lesson, you probably know what it is. It's Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 that says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. The best-known Bible verse on college campuses now, also by a wide margin, is a verse about tolerance and acceptance of others. Do not judge or you too will be judged. Or as you'll hear it most often phrased on college campuses and in other places is, you shouldn't judge. With just a little bit of reflection, you can probably figure out why Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 is so popular. See, it doesn't surprise us that the popularity of this verse, when we recognize, when we see, when we look around us, and we see that the cultural shift has occurred in our world. 
See, in our culture now, it seems that no one has the right to say that anyone else is wrong. You shouldn't judge as not only well-known, that reflects one of our culture's highest values. And when we read Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, that says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. You shouldn't judge seems to be a value that Jesus shares with our culture. And that's why I know that what I'm going to say today has great potential for upsetting at least some of you here today. I know that what I'm going to say today will likely evoke some strong negative reactions from some of you here today. And so up front, I want to ask this from you. What I want to ask from you is you not judge what I say until you hear everything that I say. Is that fair enough? Fair enough. Thank you. Um, So I'm not going to be coy. I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm going to tell you right up front that I am convinced that when Jesus said, do not judge or you too will be judged, he didn't mean what many people today are convinced he meant. So what are many people convinced that Jesus meant when he said we shouldn't judge? Well, many people are convinced that Jesus meant that we should avoid all moral discernment. Many people are convinced that Jesus himself never judged anybody and that he modeled a judgment-free life. Many people are convinced that Jesus meant that we should refrain from differentiating between right behavior and wrong behavior. Many people are convinced that Jesus meant we shouldn't distinguish between righteous actions and sinful actions. Many people are convinced that Jesus meant we shouldn't judge at all, meaning that we should tolerate and accept all behavior. You shouldn't judge. And I want you to know, again, up front, that the Bible doesn't say that. And I want you to know that Jesus isn't saying that. And I also want you to know that Jesus didn't do that. In fact, if you spend any time at all reading in the Gospels, you'll quickly see that they refute the notion that Jesus modeled a life for his disciples that was free from moral judgment. It's not the life he lived. If you spend any time at all in the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus didn't at all hesitate to identify sin as sin and sinners as sinners. In fact, if you spend much time in the Gospels at all, you might be shocked at the way that Jesus did respond to some sin and some sinners. He sometimes responded in very confrontational ways, and he used language that I'm certain would get him labeled as unkind today, as intolerant today, as unaccepting today in our culture. See, Jesus repeatedly called people out for their poor theology He called people out for their bad attitudes. He called people out for their unkind behaviors. He called people out for their immoral actions. In fact, I'm convinced that if Jesus had Facebook then, that his Facebook would have been filled with these admonishments that he just shouldn't judge. But Jesus did judge. He did make moral discernments. 
Jesus didn't hesitate to call sin, sin, and identify sinners as sinners. We don't have time to look at all the examples of Jesus exercising judgment in the Gospels. But we are going to look at just a couple. An interesting place to turn is to John 3.18, the verse just after the most popular verse from my first decade on college campuses. In John 3.18, Jesus said this, He said, Whoever believes in me is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. That's judgment language. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. See, Jesus says that those who don't believe in him, those who love darkness, those whose deeds are evil are condemned. Now, Jesus didn't hesitate to identify sin as sin and sinners as sinners. Another example in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people, and he says this about the religious leaders of his day. And some of those religious leaders were off on the side listening to Jesus speak as he says this. He says, do not do what they do. You need a picture him pointing the finger. Do not do what they do. They do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and they put them on men's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. And then he shifts his attention, he shifts his focus, and he addresses those religious leaders directly. He looks them in the eye and listen to what he called them. Six different times he calls them hypocrites. He calls them hypocrites to their faces. But he didn't stop there. He also called them sons of hell. He called them blind guides. He called them blind fools. He called them blind men. He called them blind Pharisees. He told them to their faces that they were full of hypocrisy and full of wickedness. And then he decides to get serious in verse 33 and take the gloves off. And he tells them to their face that individually they're snakes. And collectively they're a brood of vipers. Jesus didn't hesitate to identify sin as sin and sinners as sinners. And that shouldn't surprise us. And it shouldn't surprise us because throughout the Bible, God calls on his people to recognize and to name and to avoid evil. For just one example, listen to the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20, Isaiah writes this. He says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. God's people are called to make moral judgments. In fact, Isaiah says that he is judging those people who won't judge Isaiah says it's wrong not to call things that are wrong, wrong. So why has there been this cultural shift away from judgment? Why are so many people so quick to judge people who are bold enough to judge? 
who are bold enough to call sin, sin, and sinners, sinners. Well, I think part of the shift away from judgment is a reaction to bad judgment. I think it's a reaction to judgment that's been done poorly. See, too often Christians have been guilty of judging without any humility. Too often Christians have been guilty of judging without any mercy. Too often Christians have been guilty of judging without any love. And I also want you to know if that's the kind of judges that we're going to be, arrogant judges, merciless judges, hateful judges, Jesus would agree, then we shouldn't judge if that's the kind of judges we're going to be. But there's a right way to judge, and there's a wrong way to judge. And Jesus made this clear when he told the crowd listening to him in John chapter 7 and verse 24 that they should stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. There's a right way to judge and there's a wrong way to judge. There's a Christ-like way of judging and there's a wrong way of judging. See, I think maybe the Christian saying that we should be seen on coffee mugs and on Facebook isn't you shouldn't judge. Instead, maybe we should be seen and reading you shouldn't judge unless you judge like Jesus Christ. Making right judgments, making proper judgments has to begin with the right attitude about other people. It has to begin with a proper attitude about other people. We can only make right judgments if we have the attitude of Jesus Christ. Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. He said, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others as better than yourselves. And each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. And Jesus' attitude was an attitude that was marked by service and humility and mercy and love. And because Jesus loved well, then Jesus judged well. Because Jesus loved people, he accepted people. He accepted people from all walks of life, people in all different circumstances, people carrying all kinds of baggage, including moral baggage. See, Jesus' acceptance of people didn't leave people where he found them. Instead, Jesus, because he loved them, called them to where God wanted them to be. See, Jesus accepted people without accepting their sin. And that's in great contrast to that brood of vipers, to those serpents, to those religious leaders of the day. See, the brood of vipers had a real hard time with what Jesus was doing. They had a real hard time with the fact that he was accepting sinners without accepting their sin. 
they had a hard time with that because they didn't know how to judge correctly. See, the brood of vipers thought that to be an enemy of sin, you also had to be an enemy of sinners. And the contrast between Jesus' attitude and the brood of vipers' attitude is captured in this exchange. This exchange captures the contrast between right judgment, between Christ-like judgment and wrong judgment. It's in Luke chapter 5. I'll start reading in verse 29. This is after Levi, after Matthew has accepted Jesus' call to follow him. So we read, Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus in his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect, that's that brood of vipers we're talking about, the brood of vipers complained to his disciples and said, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors? And with sinners. And it's Jesus who answered them. And he said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, the brood of vipers was the enemy of sin, and they were also the enemy of sinners. They judged wrongly. But Jesus was the friend of sinners while being the enemy of sin. He judged rightly. Jesus judged well because he loved well. And because Jesus loved well, Jesus called sin, sin. And he called sinners, sinners. But he also called sinners away from their sin, Because he loved well. And because he loved well, he didn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. He wants everyone to be saved from their sin. And that's what Jesus models for us. That's how we judge well. We judge well by opposing sin and loving sinners. What does that look like? How do we judge well? How do we oppose sin yet love sinners? How do we have the attitude of Christ towards others instead of having that attitude that the brood of vipers had toward others? Well, first, I think that we have to understand that judging well flows out of humility. We need to understand that judging well begins with a long look in the mirror. See, until we recognize that the person that we see in the mirror is also a sinner. Until we acknowledge that each and every one of us also falls short. Until we recognize our sinful ways and turn away from our sinful ways. Until we confess that we are completely dependent on the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Until we do that, we can't judge well. That's the whole point of Matthew chapter 7 that we read just before the sermon. At this time, Jesus is confronting and he's judging religious hypocrisy. Listen again to what he said, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. 
said, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. See, we can't preach to others what we refuse to practice ourselves. We can't name the sin in other people's lives if we refuse to name the sin in our own lives. If we want to judge well, we must start with ourselves, and we must hate our own sin. And that good judgment must continue on in the, in the church, in this fellowship of brothers and sisters. See, in the church, we can't climb up on our ladders and look over the wall of the church and point our fingers at the sin that's outside those walls while ignoring the sin that's inside these walls. That's the point that Paul makes when he writes to the church in Corinth. Chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians begins this way. Paul says, It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that doesn't even occur among pagans. A man has his father's wife, and you are proud. Then he continues on in verse 9, and he says, I've written... You in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave this world. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a, a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. And then Paul says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Well, what's Paul saying? Paul's saying that we can't condemn sin outside these walls while we commend sin inside these walls. We can't preach to others what we refuse to practice ourselves. And we need to stop being shocked by the actions of the pagans outside these walls. We need to stop being shocked when pagans act like pagans and start being shocked that God's people inside the church walls are often following the wicked ways of those pagans. Good judgment is humble judgment. Good judgment judges our own sin. But good judgment doesn't stop there. Because good judgment is also merciful judgment. James, the brother of Jesus, recognized good and merciful judgment when he wrote this in James chapter 2 and verse 12. He said, speak and act as though as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. 
Mercy triumphs over judgment. So before we hasten to judge others, James cautions us to first ask ourselves, how do we want to be judged? And if in our humility we recognize our own need for mercy, then we also must recognize the need to give mercy to others. We have to ask ourselves, are we merciful? Are we kind? Are we compassionate? Are we forgiving? Are we patient? Are we gentle? Are we tender when we identify the sin in others? But you might say, well, wait a minute. How about that old brood of vipers interaction that Jesus had, that confrontation with them he had? He didn't sound very merciful. He didn't sound very tender. He didn't sound very patient. And you're right, he wasn't. And the fact that he wasn't should also give us pause. The reason it should give us pause is because Jesus was treating them without mercy because of the way they treated others. Jesus treated the brood of vipers without mercy because they weren't merciful. He treated them without mercy because they were religious hypocrites who refused to recognize the sin in their own lives while delighting in pointing out the sin in other people's lives. So if the way that we name the sin in other people's lives prevents us from being named as friends of sinners... And we need to understand that we're exercising poor judgment. That's not Christ-like judgment. See, to judge well, we must be humble. We must be merciful. We must be humble and merciful because we need too much grace ourselves to refuse to offer grace to others. Finally, to judge well, we need love. And the kind of love that I'm talking about, us needing, is the kind of love the prophet Nathan had for King David. You probably remember the sordid story. King David saw beautiful Bathsheba, and he took her sexually. She became pregnant. And David plotted to cover up his sin, but Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, wouldn't cooperate with David's plans. So David had Uriah murdered, and then he moved on with his life like nothing even happened. He moved on with his life until Nathan confronted David and named his sin. He moved on with his life until Nathan showed that he loved David enough to judge David's sin. And Nathan, in his love, didn't pull any punches Listen to what he asked David in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 9. He said, David, why do you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? And David responded by naming his own sin, recognizing his own sin. And he responded by repenting and turning back to his God. And he did that because Nathan loved him enough to judge his sin. 
And I want to tell you this morning that we all need friends like Nathan. We all need friends who love us enough to name our sin. We all need friends who love us enough to judge our sin. Who love us enough to judge our sin so we won't be condemned in our sin. But we also need to be friends like Nathan. We all need to be the kind of friends who love each other enough to name the sin that we see in our brothers' and sisters' lives. We all need to be the kind of friends who love each other enough to judge the sin in each other's lives. So none of us will be condemned in our sin. So to judge well, we must love well. To judge well, we must love like we are loved. And all we have to do to know how much we're loved is to to gaze at the cross. The cross tells us how we are loved. Because the cross tells the story of the God who hates sin, but loves sinners like us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So I want to end by saying this to my friends, to my brothers, to my sisters, to my church, to my family. May we be a group of people who are judged, but we're judged for loving others the way that the judge, the way God, the way his son Jesus Christ loves us. May we judge well because we love well. Let's pray. Father, we stand before you as sinners. And Father, we thank you for loving us so much that you didn't just wash your hands of us in our sin. Father, we thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son to this earth to wash away our sin. And Father, help us to be people who not only recognize the sin in others, but recognize their need for you and your son, Jesus Christ, for his great love and his great mercy. So they too can stand before you as sinners, but washed clean. Give us the love of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So we're going to close by standing and we're going to sing a song. And this song is about our hope. It's about our hope in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's about our hope in the one who loved well and judged well. Let's stand. Savior, like a shepherd,